Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It's weekly here on BLS with Bob Long and Tyler Galhouse. Excited to be alongside as they, well, the Penn State Nittany Lions are 6-2 and two now, Tyler. We just come off, literally as we come on the air, off the first college football playoff ranking show. Penn State 14 in that ranking show. And, uh, well, that's a position they've been familiar with in the past. They've come outside the top 10 two years ago. They made their way all the way up to number five last year. Clearly the two losses in a row to Ohio state and Michigan state were too much to overcome. But even down the stretch, there was a discussion of if this fell and that fell, perhaps they could back end their way into the college football playoff. I think that's going to be a little bit tougher this year, certainly, because there's a lot of newbies that you saw, Kentucky, etc., coming into the top ten. Washington State sits there with just the one loss. Florida is ahead of them with two losses. So I think that that will be tough, something we'll keep an eye on, though, going forward. But more importantly, a huge game against Iowa this weekend, probably one of the wackiest games that either of us have ever seen for Penn State. But a win is a win is a win, and they improved to six and two. Yeah, I think the um, the craziest thing about the craziest stat line from the Penn State Iowa game was that uh, Iowa didn't um, score. They scored twenty four points, but they did not <laughs> score a true offensive touchdown. Right, two safeties on Penn State special teams, which were again horrendous outside of Jake Pinnaker. Um, big shout out to him, a freshman from actually Ohio, um, Iowa, against his home state, three for three, all forty yards plus. Unbelievable. Um, very unreliable so far, as many would expect from a true freshman kicker, but um, turned some heads in that game on uh, on Saturday in Beaver Stadium. Um, yeah, so Iowa had the two safeties. They had the fake um, kick touchdown um, caught caught by the defensive lineman on the team. Uh, apparently, teams love going against uh, Penn State with fake uh, fake plays on special teams. I'm not sure how we haven't been able to stop them yet. Um, and then they had a pick six as well. And then I believe they had a field goal. I'm not sure if that equals 24, but it sounds good to me. Um, so that was my interesting stat line from the game. Um, and, and on a more on a more negative note, uh, Penn State. Well, on a positive note, they closed out the game. But on a negative note, they had trouble putting the Iowa Hawkeyes away again. Yes, they did. I mean, they had a prime. They had a perfect time. Um, up 10. Uh, I believe it was it was the fourth quarter. It was early yep. in the fourth. Um, Sanders and McSorley fumbled it on an exchange, going in for, I think it was like first or second down, in, in goal from about the 10. Um, fumbled it on the exchange. Penn State stopped Iowa, but it could have been a 17-point lead at the time. Instead, it was only 10. So 10-point lead, Penn State gets the ball back, pick six. Now we're at a three-point game. Um, so just kind of struggling to put teams away. And again, it came down to like the last couple of plays, but the defense stopped. Big shout to the defense. They played really well. Defense played well. Offense had a lot to maneuver over the course of that game. Trace McSorley getting injured. Trace McSorley coming back late in the first half. Crazy game. Trace McSorley probably not supposed to or should not have come back in that first half. Really could not plant the back foot. Really could not get the football out the way he needed to. And in some ways, that's something that could have cost Penn State the game. But to his credit, he, the medical staff, figured something out in the locker room at halftime, and he came out able to put more weight on that back foot and get the ball, generally speaking, to where he needed to get it. Yeah, and I mean, it didn't look good at the time of the injury. I mean, it looked like it, it looked like an ACL or some sort of tear, and it was just kind of like, well, you know, that's that's all you're going to see from McSorley in the blue and white. And, and Stevens came in, played very well, had a nice deep ball that was dropped. Um, tough catch, but should have probably been caught. Um, 
but it was it was so many crazy events in that game between the safeties, the special teams, McSurley coming back, then running for a fifty yard touchdown on a bum on a bum knee. I mean, he the kid's a total gamer, and I mean he is um, he's fun to watch. His his stats haven't been as impressive um, throwing the ball this year. Um, some poor weather games and just you know the, the receivers and game scheme, but you know he he does everything it takes at the end of the day to get the win. So. Yeah, He's a well, true warrior. We're going to talk about that play in this week's episode of The Blitz. We've talked enough over the past couple of weeks about Ricky Ronnie and some of the uh, poor play calls. Last week, we actually highlighted an amazing wrinkle that he put in based on Joe Moorhead and something that actually arose out of the Michigan game last year, this time putting Tommy Stevens in and switching places in the backfield, McSorley and Stevens, and that allowing Fryermuth to go deep. We're going to talk about while this play, it's a lot less complex, while it, why it is equally brilliant and why it was the perfect call at the perfect time against the perfect defense with, I may say, the perfect personnel and a tremendous job by the offensive line. And we'll break down the nitty-gritty of that uh, in our episode of The Blitz this week. Hey, we also have a lot to talk about when it comes to the University of Michigan and that game coming up this weekend, a 345 kickoff that will turn into a night game very early on, much the same as the 330 kick did against Iowa. And we're going to have Jason Lord from ESPN 1450 in-state college and between the lines podcast to come on and talk about it with us. He's been on us with, uh, in this podcast before and, uh, he does a great job with Between the Lions, and he does a great job with 1450. He's on the ground, boots on the ground type of guy who knows a lot about this program and covers them day-to-day up there in State College. So we're ex- excited to talk to him. I think it'll be a good good segment of the show. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to talk to Jason uh, and get his opinion. Um, one thing that's concerning me about the upcoming game against Michigan is um, – how Penn State's offense and, and the team overall totally embarrassed Michigan last year. Yeah. Um in prime time Penn State forty two I think it was forty two to thirteen, something yep, something right. in that nature. Well and, you know why it was thirteen, right? Uh Miss Extra Point by, by Quinn Nordine, Jim Harbaugh's Who? famous sleepover as a recruit. <laughs> anyway. Who was um, committed to? Penn State. Of course. Yes. Um well documented there. Yes, it was. Um but I know that um, Lavert Hill, who was also committed to Penn State, um, he's a junior cornerback at Michigan, um, is famous for the double middle finger um, to the Penn State student section after Penn State beat him last year. It pretty much came out and said Penn State, <clears throat> excuse me, totally embarrassed us last year, disrespected us actually is what he said. And I know that their defensive coordinator, Don Brown, who's one of the best in mm-hmm. all college football, has said, you know, essentially, quote unquote, that. He's, he hasn't been able to sleep since last year, since that game. Thinks about it every Michigan's single morning. Michigan's coming off of a bye week, too. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I hope that, you know, you talk about wrinkles with what um, Ronnie did against Indiana. I hope that there's more wrinkles because it's going to take some big plays, um, some wrinkles to get the job done this week. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And we'll talk about some of these Penn State schemes and what we're going to expect both in the Michigan game, but also take a step back and talk some Iowa games with, uh, with Jason Lord of 1450 ESPN radio and between the lines podcast. Good friend of our show here, Jason, welcome onto the show tonight. And wow, that was quite an interesting football game on Saturday at Beaver stadium. Very interesting football game on Saturday. Kind of a, not necessarily a tale of two halves, but a tale of almost what it felt like was two teams initially. Uh, obviously, Penn they got off to that slow start and then really was, they don't turn it over 
down the stretch there was ready to put Iowa away by 17 points. So it was really a tale of two very different teams from the first quarter and late third, early fourth quarter. You're exactly right about that. And it's a Penn State team that struggled with putting together 60 minutes of football. And we actually talked with your co-host, Brian Tripp, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we got into whether is it truly just a fourth quarter thing in the last couple of weeks would say yes. But or is it just a full 60 minute thing, no matter when that lull will happen against App State? It happened, uh, you know, late first half and into the third quarter. Uh, you know, we've seen them struggle early on at times like against Iowa and then of course right at the end of the game Uh, what do you think it is about this particular team and an inability to play 60 minutes of football consistently it is a full 60 minute thing first of all I think it's not necessarily just the fourth quarter a lot of it is look the, the defense is still a lot of young guys even though they're playing very well it's it's younger guys that aren't necessarily in that situation initially and that plays a role, no question about it. And a lot of it is just it took a little bit of time for you know, Trace to really trust other wide receivers not named Juwan Johnson and K.J. Hamler for, for much of the year. So I think you combine both of those, that's going to in turn cause the team to really make a few mistakes and not be able to close games but also not be able to put that complete game together. You look at the Ohio State game. You take that early lead, then second half, it dwindles back and forth. Michigan State, obviously, the heartbreaker where you couldn't close out. And and Iowa, it wasn't necessarily a case of not closing the game. It was a case of just not consistently putting together a complete game. You talked about the start in the first quarter, and then down the stretch, had to have a, a Nick Scott interception. Hey, Jason, uh, Tyler Galhouse here, uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think the Penn State defense has um, done actually a very good job um, this season in, in their bigger matchups against Ohio State, Michigan State, and Iowa. Um, however, I think they've struggled a little bit in the Indiana game um, and, e- and even Illinois and Appalachian State, who just was in the top 25 last week, no longer is. Um, the common theme I'm seeing is it seems like the defense gets up for these bigger games. Um, what do you expect to see Saturday in Ann Arbor, and how does this defense match up to the Michigan offense? Defense, I think, matches up pretty well against the the Michigan offense, but that Michigan offense just brings a lot of experience, brings a heck of a wide receiver and Peoples-Jones and a tight end with Gentry, too. And then Higdon's that guy that's not necessarily going to be a first-team All-American, but he's a guy that can beat you. So I think they match up well. I think the problem I see most with the defense is between the tackles. I think they're fine at defensive end. I think he clearly showed that. I think he clearly showed that last two weeks. But between the tackles is where they give up a lot of yards on the ground. And I think that's a concern for me. And that's a concern when you're facing a guy like Higdon. You're facing a mobile quarterback like Patterson. Even may see McCaffrey in there once or twice. So the mobility is a concern because of between the tackles, what Penn State has not really been able to do. Indiana, you're absolutely right, just really gashed Penn State on the ground. And the other worry is the screen passes. I think we're still seeing Penn State not necessarily defend that, and Michigan does it well. 
Jason Lord on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Jason, let's talk about this defense a little bit more. You say in between the tackles, let's take a look at the next level, and that's the linebacking core. We're seeing more and more kind of delta or separation of snaps between the first stringers and the second stringers, and those second stringers are almost entirely encompassed by freshmen. You're seeing Micah Parsons take snaps from Coa Farmer. You're seeing Ellis Brooks take more snaps in a position where I think if you asked me or Tyler before the year, we might have said Jesse Lakeda would have been the one to step up and take some snaps from Jan Johnson. Uh, How do you think that affects them going into the last four weeks of the season? It's going to affect them in terms of experience. I think Micah Parsons especially is a guy that continues to learn and grow. And, look, he came in from the high school level as much of an athletic player as really I ever saw it at the high school level. But coming into college, he had to learn that new position, had to learn that linebacker position, and you're seeing him learn it more and more each week. And you're seeing the more experienced guys struggle at times. You name, you mentioned Coa Farmer, and that's one right there. But he's had his inconsistencies, and what I see really is the younger guys starting to take over and play in the positions. But James Franklin is still going to rotate guys out. He's shown that really throughout the year. He wants guys to be fresh down the stretch. You really saw it in those first four and five games. Once again, Jason Lord on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Uh, Jason, we just got done with the college football playoff show literally minutes before we, we came on air here, and we saw that Penn State came in at number 14, Ohio State at 10, and the Michigan Wolverines, who Penn State goes on the road to play this weekend, at number 5. First question, did anything surprise you about Penn State specifically? And then second, did anything surprise you about the rankings in general and the fabric of the Big Ten within it? Uh, Big Ten-wise, no. Nothing really surprised me in terms of the rankings. Penn State earned that number 14 ranking with a win on Saturday. I thought they needed not necessarily that signature win, but the win that's going to catch a few eyes. And I thought Iowa did that. The App State win took a little bit of a backseat the way the Mountaineers played last week. So I think they needed that game that was going to catch a few eyes. You beat the team that was in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West in Iowa. So I feel like they've earned that number 14 ranking. Ohio State, look, winning against Penn State on the road in the whiteout in a very tough environment, I think that clearly earns a number 10 ranking. In Michigan, yeah, they call it the revenge tour, whatever they call it. Yeah, They have had some impressive victories. I think they've learned a lot, and they've gotten exponentially better between week one against Notre Dame and the Michigan team that you see now. So Big Ten-wise, I'm not really overly surprised. And I think from the top four, I'm not really surprised either. I think LSU, be it they have a loss, I think they've earned that number four ranking. Obviously, that could change this week. They're clearly facing the best team in the country in Alabama. I think when you look at the rankings, it's Alabama number one. They're on the top of a mountain, and at best, everybody else is about a third of the way up that mountain. (laughs) I think Alabama is just that good this year. Nick Saban is done a heck of a job there. This may very well be his best team. So they are clearly the best team and LSU this week. So Michigan can very easily, by beating Penn State, creep into that number four spot. Speaking of Michigan, um, how do you expect, Jason, um, Penn State's offense to attack Michigan's stellar defense? I mean, this is one of the best defenses in the country, one of the best coached 
defenses in the country. Um, I believe they're going to be without Rayshon Gary, their uh, superstar defensive end, who hasn't yes. hasn't played a whole lot of football this mm-hmm. year, um, which is is good news for Penn State. But there's no there's no short of um, talent or experience on that defensive side of the ball. Penn State had great success, obviously last year at home, um, putting up a ton of points on Michigan. And I know that Michigan, that still, you know, um, bothers them to this day that they got totally embarrassed like mm-hmm. that. So, um, how do you expect, um, you know, Penn State to attack Michigan's defense this year, especially with um, the target now on Penn State's back? Well, it starts with Trace McSorley. I think you obviously have got to have the ball in his hands quite a bit, both through the air and through his feet. And I think you really have to establish that ground game because you're going to be facing a physical Michigan defense. And Don Brown does a heck of a job, always does. Very uncharacteristic last year at the whiteout when they felt embarrassed and they took it personal. They still do. You look at LaVert Hill, what he did, the gesture to the student section last year, and really saying a lot of things this week leading up to the game. So they took it personal, there's no doubt. How Penn State will attack them, I think it's got to start – really with that ground game. Michigan's secondary is good. The defense could very well be the best in the country. You never, to me, it's that good, and it starts really with Penn State establishing the line of scrimmage, and that includes up front. Got a block, and you have to establish the running game without a doubt. Jason Lord on with us on the Nittany Lions Sports Report and of the Between the Lions podcast and a 1450 ESPN State College. Jason, tell us a little bit before you go about the work you guys are doing, both at uh, Between the Lions and, of course, at the station, kind of with your, your boots on the ground and working, uh, working alongside the program. Well, working alongside the program, obviously, I'm associated with you know, Penn State postgame on ESPN Radio 1450 home games. I'm mainly the yeah, the guy giving the scores, but the away games, I'm the co-host with Mark Snyder, who who hosts both home and away, does a heck of a job without a doubt. And between the lines, we go not only with football, we're in depth with Penn State sports. You name it, if it's tied to Penn State sports, we cover it. And really, it's the three people tied to the university. Brian Tripp, the voice of Penn State hockey, does an unbelievable job. And yeah, Matt Bortner is the guy that really – the heart and soul, the, the one who came to us and brought the idea forward of the podcast, and it's it's grown from there. It's on year two, and hopefully here's to many more. Indeed. We are certainly uh, listening ourselves whenever we can. We love the work you guys do. We love supporting other Penn State-related podcasts, so we wish you guys the best of luck with Between the Lions. And uh, we'll be, of course, listening on 1450 on the pregame and postgame. So thanks again for being part of, of our show this evening and providing some color on the Nittany Lions. Uh, n- no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. I echo the sentiments. You guys do a, a heck of a job with this. I always enjoy coming on your show and, and getting a chance to talk Penn State sports. It's a pleasure. And uh, enjoy the, the big game this weekend. should be fun. All right, looking forward to it without a doubt. Big road test. <laughs> All right, thanks again. That is Jason Lord coming on, and certainly appreciate his time this evening. Yeah, this is this is um, by far Penn State's biggest road test of the year. They knew that coming in um, to the season, and and I think Jason, I think we're all kind of on the same page in, in the sense of you know it, it's a little it's a little um, troublesome the idea of going in there to Michigan with. Like you know, the target the bullseye on Penn State's back after what they did to them last year. You know, Michigan is calling this a revenge tour 
um, going out there. You know, they they thought last year they definitely underachieved, and they feel like they have a lot to lot to prove this year. And I just hope maybe after their bye week and seeing that they're ranked number five, maybe they, you know, maybe they're a little bit too confident going into this game. And I mean, I kind of doubt it because they're a well coached team, but. You never know. A lot's going to have to go Penn State's winner. have to play a heck of a football game to be in it late. I'll say this, and I understand the concept of bulletin board material and a team rallying behind a given cause, from, from football to, to golf and the Ryder Cup, and it was shoulder to shoulder for the Europeans. I get that concept. Revenge tour? Embarrassed? That's what they're calling it. <laughs> I, I mean, come on. Yeah. Embarrassed? Like. 42 to 3. I understand that they had a running play trying to get to the end right. rather than kneeling in at the end of the game. Michigan beat Penn State 49 to 10 the prior year in Ann So Arbor. I guess Penn State was embarrassed. So Penn yeah, State I mean, was embarrassed. It's I mean, kind of like what you say about the best practice of the year type comment from Franklin a couple weeks ago. So right. it's 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 very similar you to know that. that. I think stuff gets to I me. think it's yeah, and I think it's just, you know, college kids like, you know, speaking the same with with Lavert Hill, what he's been saying and what he did last year at the end of the game. I mean, it's just, you know, they just try to feed on more emotion than I think they really need to. Yeah, I, it just – and it's not worth putting a ton of time I mean, at the end of the day, that Michigan is playing for a Big Ten championship and a spot in, in the college football playoff. Um, and Penn State may still be alive in a couple scenarios for the Big Ten championship, but – um, Michigan should be more focused on that than a revenge tour. <laughs> You're absolutely right. There's so much more to play for than that. And oh, by the way, if I may, Penn State is in control of its own destiny minus two results, we'll say. So so they need if they win out, they need two things to happen to win the Big Ten East. Like that's the other thing that's kind of well, lost they, in they all they would this. probably need Michigan to beat Ohio State. Yep. And they what would be the other thing? Uh, uh that would be just Michigan to lose one more football game. Okay. That's true. Because, now I don't know where that's going to. Yeah, happen. I don't know where that would happen either. But okay, interesting. But because that's their their only losses out of conference. Their only losses out of conference because that's the Notre Dame loss. But what would happen there is you'd have all three teams at seven and two in the Big Ten, and at that point you go to a three way tiebreaker. It would be head to head, or in this case, best record of those three teams that are tied against one another. So if somebody was two and zero, oh, they would carry forward. If somebody was well, that's it. And then the one and one would be the second in the division, and the 0 and 2 would be third. In this case, they would all have beaten each other Ohio State beating Penn State, Penn State beating Michigan in this theoretical situation, and Michigan beating Ohio State in this theoretical situation. So then you go to the record against non divisional conference opponents. Which we, we did talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, Penn and because State. Nebraska's on the schedule for both, both Ohio State and Michigan and not on the schedule for Penn State, Penn State plays Wisconsin and, and Iowa. Iowa yeah, correct. That that would carry the day for them. It would. Um, obviously, a lot has to happen. You know, yeah, just two results. For, no, well, yes, but. And Penn State winning out. Right. And I think that they, if they can get past Michigan, I think they will win out. I think that this is by far the toughest. Obviously, Absolutely. not looking ahead, Wisconsin has looked anything but the Wisconsin we've been used to the last three, four, five years here. Yep. So agreed. But just worth throwing out there. So that's that's what's going It'll on. It'll keep the listeners listening. Yes indeed. <laughs> and what hope else hopes uh hopefully keeps the listeners listening is our blitz segment coming up next here on BLS. We're gonna go through the call of the year by Ricky Ronnie. And I thought that happened last week. 
I thought that happened last week against Indiana when Tommy Stevens came into the game as the Lion and switched spots with Trace McSorley to take the direct snap and then just completely befuddled the defense in a homage to Joe Moorhead, something that was drawn up last year against Michigan. Well, they had the call of the year against Iowa. It was far less complex but equally brilliant against really the best possible defensive alignment that he could have made the call against, and he had some tremendous blocking with some really athletic guys on the line. We're going to talk about that on the other side, and this is the Nittany Lions Sports Report here on BLS. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse. It will only be a few minutes. See you soon. Welcome back to the Nittany Lions Sports Report, everybody. It's time for the Blitz here on BLS, and we're going to talk about a brilliant call in the Iowa game and how Penn State's going to need to design things defensively to deal with Michigan and what Michigan does so well offensively. It's not going to blow you out of the water, this Michigan offense, but they do a lot of little things very well, and they got a key piece in Shea Patterson. But first to the Iowa game. It's a 17-17 game, exactly how you expected the football game to get to 17-17. Uh, two, two safeties, field goals, uh, of course, the, the fake field goal for a touchdown thrown to a linebacker, exactly the way you expected Iowa to get 17 points. But now, right here at one yard short of the 50-yard line, Penn State has the football, and they're, they're actually driving this way, but we're going to just run it this way for the purposes of this, this, uh, this broadcast. Uh, Trace McSorley is here on third down and two. And Penn State needs a play. It's tied, a lot of momentum on the line. Iowa comes out in a cover zero, meaning that there's no safety help deep whatsoever. There's one linebacker here. There's a bunch of guys right up on the line of scrimmage. And then it's man-to-man defense on the outside. DeAndre Tompkins is out here. So at this point, Penn State draws up an absolutely brilliant call. A designed run to Trace McSorley, and for Penn State, it's right here where Connor McGovern makes the key play. Trace McSorley takes off here. Connor McGovern very, very quickly pulls this way as the athletic guard that he is, and Penn State leaves this defensive end completely unblocked, as if this were a pure college-style read option. I mean, that's what Penn State does day in and day out. So they leave this guy uncovered, and then they don't hand the ball off, and Trace heads right for this guy. So he thinks he's got an easy opportunity to take down Trace McSorley. But now McGovern takes him completely off the football. Trace McSorley gets through here, and this linebacker who would come in to attack the A-gap on a potential run up the middle by the back for Penn State He had no chance. So now it's one-on-one as DeAndre Tompkins runs streaks, and now it's his job to block the only cornerback left between Trace McSorley and the end zone. And that's something that DeAndre Tompkins has done really well for a long time here at Penn State. For the struggles that he's had, he's been able to pin guys here and allow long runs to continue down the field. Trace McSorley takes off for the end zone. It's 24 to 17 Penn State, and that is the last time that Penn State would be tied or trailing in that football game. It was a brilliant call from Ricky Ronnie at the perfect time. It's something that they had in the playbook ready to go when they saw a look like this and 
Iowa finally gave it to them in the early stages of that first of that third quarter, the first portion of the second half. But really, remember Connor McGovern, the key, and his athleticism as a guard allowed Ricky Ronnie to make that call and for that play to be executed to perfection. All right, let's now talk about the Michigan Wolverines, who Penn State plays this weekend in Ann Arbor. This is a football team that loves to run the football. Over 220 yards on average on the ground. Karan Higdon has the vast, vast majority of those rushing attempts and the rushing yards. However, what do they do so well? Well, Shea Patterson is a key for this football team. He's a guy that joined the program this year as a transfer from Ole Miss and replaced what was a real, essentially, a revolving door of John O'Corn and Wilton Spate. Spate playing his football now at UCLA. So Higdon as the back with Shea Patterson as the quarterback. Here's what's so effective for Michigan. A lot of times they'll either put Shea under center and he'll give the ball to Higdon up the middle, or they can put Shea Patterson in the shotgun, as you see in this graphic, and he can either hand it off to Higdon or he can run it himself, or he can certainly pass it himself. But this running it himself is something I want to talk about on this episode of The Blitz because Shea Patterson is not necessarily the guy you think that's the fleetest of foot, but he still has 40 rushing attempts on the year. That's second only to Karan Higdon. So what was really effective in the first half against Wisconsin is they were busting it down the Badgers' throats with Karan Higdon. And then all of a sudden, fake a handoff to Higdon, and it's Patterson that heads off tackle and down the field for what ended up being an 80-yard run down to the five-yard line. Now, why did they do this? Because Wisconsin had an outside end that pushed in here the three technique playing defensive tackle pushed in here, and there was nobody on the outside as these guys pushed here. Higdon got the fake. Patterson took off, and Patterson nearly took it to the house. That's something that they can do really well. He's not the fleetest of foot, as I said, but he can certainly move, and that's going to be a concern for Penn State because, as Jason Lord said in our last segment, there could be problems for Penn State and have been up the middle at the interior defensive lineman spot. So does Sharif Miller, does Etor Gross Matos have to cave in a little bit, and does that open up Shea Patterson on the edge, who, as we mentioned, is actually their second leading rusher and their second highest carry getter? Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about tonight is their two guards. They have extremely athletic guards. We talked about Connor McGovern for Penn State. Ben Bredesen and Michael Onwenu, number 74 and 50 respectively, are tremendous guards for Michigan. And I want to bring you back to one play in the second quarter where Karan Higdon got a huge gain. Shea Patterson was in the shotgun. Higdon was next to him. Snap. Here's Onwenu here's, uh, and here is Bredesen. Snap, hand off to Higdon, simple off-tackle run, right? But the ability of Bredesen to get to the next level and take out a linebacker took him completely out of the play. And then seven yards down the field, seven yards down the field, Onwenu starts straight up the field and takes out the strong safety and allows Higdon to continue down the field. That is not a college play. That is not something that you see very often from any offensive lineman 
And you don't see it much from guys in the NFL either, even though those guys are physical specimens. I mean, on Wainu and Brennison, that was just a characteristic and a textbook play from tremendous offensive linemen and athletic guards. We talk so much about offensive tackles in protecting the quarterback. Athletic guards can totally open up a running game. It's why Penn State could have problems against Michigan's, uh, Michigan's offense this weekend. It's why Michigan averages over 200 rushing yards per game. And it's why then there's opportunities for Shea Patterson in the play action because guys have to commit so much at the line of scrimmage because of all the functions that the offensive line are running uh, to really counteract anything the defense is going to throw at them. So they put bodies up front. It allows Devin Peoples-Jones to get open down the field. Eubanks to get open down the field. They got four guys with over 15 catches this year and three with over 20. They can spread it around, and the reason that is is because of the space opened up down the field because of that attack with the run. And a big part of that are those two guards. So that's all we have for the Blitz here this evening. Hope you learned a little bit about the Michigan Wolverines and what to expect next weekend and why that call against Iowa. Ricky Ryan just keeps outdoing himself. The most brilliant call of the year. It wasn't complex, but it was perfect, and it was at the right time. So we'll be back on the other side previewing more Michigan Wolverine football here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report with Bob Long and Tyler Galehouse. We'll be right back. And welcome back, everybody, to the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Gelhouse here from our Blue Bell Studios. Excited to be alongside. And, uh, well, as soon as that Blitz segment is over, you said to me two things. You said, Ricky Ryan keeps outdoing himself, huh? And that Michigan's going to run the football down your throat and you're worried about a couple other games and how that's sure. going to manifest itself. I'll, uh, I'll start with the Ricky Ronnie. He's outdoing himself. I think he has done some really nice things with this team. Um, he is working with, I think we should keep in mind, a new running. He's in a new position with the quarterbacks. Uh, it was recently coached by Moorhead. Um, so now it's Ronnie with the quarterbacks. Um, they have a new running backs coach this year with um, Jaywan Cedar, Cider. I'm sorry, I'm not sure if it's Cedar or Cider. Um, wide receivers coach David Corley is new. Yep. And um, there's a new tight ends coach and Tyler Bowen. So, um, outside of the o- offensive line coach, Lime Grover, everybody is new on this team um, on the offensive side in terms of coaching, and there's a lot of new personnel on the offense. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, people, places you could point the finger. Um, obviously, James Franklin's always going to be the first person, followed by Ricky Ronnie on the offense, offensive side of ball. And then arguably after that, probably the receivers as a whole outside of K.J. Hamler. Um, I think they've been a little bit of a letdown. I know at our first show of the year, um, you know, we were we were pretty much raving about the receiving core and what we expected this year. I'm not sure if he's dealing with some personnel issues on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he's not out there making the catches. He's out there calling the plays, and he has done a great job at times. But what what I keep thinking in the back of my head is when it comes time to close the game, getting first downs late in a game, closing the door on a team, getting one first down. Again, this week all he needed to do was get that one first down. They couldn't do it. Gave Iowa the ball back. Iowa, yeah, they had a chance to win the game a couple times there, Iowa did. And uh, thank God for Nick Scott picking off Stanley on a broken play. That, I'll say thank goodness for Nate Stanley. Right. Yeah, that too. I mean, he you know, he didn't look great in that game. But, um, you know, I'm a little harsh on, on the coaching um, this year. Um, because, But at the same time, it's a whole new staff, which I try to remind myself. But 
all in all, he's doing an okay job, but I still want to see a little bit more from, from Ricky Ronnie. I think that's fair. And I think what I was getting at, I know what I was getting at in that segment, is that in spurts, he's made some of the better calls that I think we've seen. Mm-hmm. In terms of dying, and I know that Joe Moorhead did a fantastic job of that as well. And I'm saying that I think Ricky learned very well from that because what you're seeing is the proper identification of how to isolate a defense with a gimpy quarterback, and that simply didn't matter. Great play by Trace, but you know, cover zero and then pulling that guard really, really opened that up and really put that defensive end that was unblocked, seemingly unblocked, on a complete island. Absolutely, and you gotta you gotta think that Ronnie has some things up his sleeve for this weekend. I think so. Um, I mean, you kind of have to. Um, not that this is any da- da- David versus Goliath or anything like that or a miracle type of thing, but um, you know, you kind of leave it all out there. You got nothing to lose, so yeah, you know, hopefully your guys can make some plays for you and make you look better as a play caller. Now, what's Trace's status? I don't think we really know. I mean, other they haven't than technically. I would assume. I mean, he, they wouldn't have put him back in the game if if he wasn't good to go. So, um, I would imagine he's probably having a lighter week practicing physically, but very strong mental week of practice. Um, what do you mean by that? You mean just well, watching film? What I mean by that and- is, nah, well, probably probably not doing as much in practice as he usually does running through plays. I mean, this late in the season, there might not be as much of that anyway. It's probably more walkthrough. I don't think there's much contact this late anyway, and the quarterbacks obviously don't get touched. But um, I don't think you really want him out there um, you know, running, running read options in practice. However, if you're going to do it in a game, you should do it in practice. So I think, I think he's as a fifth year senior and, and a proven track record. I mean, I think he probably um, he's definitely working working out with the team, but maybe more mental this week for yeah. him. Yeah, no, interesting. And I think what the key for Penn State is, in addition to the stuff I talked about from the defensive side of the football, is that offensive line, and can they? handle Winovich and can they handle the guys up front for Michigan that that have been so good Mm -hmm. even in the place of Rashawn Gary right and can Miles Sanders continue to have the game that he has because at the end of the day this is a Michigan team led by its defensive Mm -hmm. front yeah and what's happened in the secondary is a testament to what's happening up front and how little time guys have and how one-dimensional teams have to become Mm -hmm. Only Jonathan Taylor has run for more than 100 yards on this Michigan team, and he ran for 101 yards. Averaging teams is a, as a whole under 100 yards on the year. Yeah, I think Penn State's going to break that uh, between McSorley and and, um, and they, Sanders. They already yeah. did for one team. Right, and I, I think, you know, I got, I got two points to make here, t- talking about Michigan's defense, specifically the D-line. Penn State has played great defensive lines already this year. Um Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa all have all have very good defensive lines. Um, secondly, I think it is um, pivotal that Penn State is giving um, Sanders the ball downhill. He's not a great east-west runner like Barkley was. Barkley could stretch a play, um, the USC Rose Bowl run, for example, just one of many runs, truly. Um, but Sanders is great in between the tackles, and I think they have to utilize him in the tackles. Um, in between the tackles, and they got to they got to start running the ball early, often and effective against Michigan. Um, bring those safeties up a little bit. Uh, Penn State has a very good play action game too, where they like going to Friar Muth tight end, and 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 hopefully somebody like Hamler or Johnson can step up Tompkins 
and and, and kind of go over the top there. I mean, um, the, the key is going to be establishing the run because you can't have McSorley throwing the ball 50 times in this game. Totally agree. In terms of Penn State defensively now, I want to see what happens. You mentioned the secondary and the safeties moving up. I want to see who's going to guard Donovan Peoples-Jones, and I think the answer is going to be Tariq Castro-Fields. Okay, I was... I was going to say Uruwarie because of his yeah. size. Well, yeah. and Castro Fields is—they're both pretty lanky. They're both—they're both pretty lanky. They're both, they're both pretty lanky. Um, I would imagine. Um, I don't think it'll be John Reed. Um, and Donovan Peoples Jones is a—he's a great player out out there. Um, he's their best receiver. They love their tight ends. Yeah. Um, so you know, like the safeties and linebackers have to be ready there. Uh, but but I think I, I think whoever you put on. Um, people's jones i think no matter what you're gonna have to have safety help um but i think whoever's on them will actually do a pretty good job um but i'm i'm more worried about michigan running the ball as you as you mentioned in the blitz uh because <laughs> i keep thinking back to the indiana game where they ran for all those yards up the middle um you know right up the middle first first down getting seven yards you can't you can't have that happen saturday or else you're in for a long game um and and if penn state can stop the run Patterson's a great quarterback, don't get me wrong, but you want them to beat you through the air because they will run it all day, and then, like Penn State would want to do, bring the safeties up, go over the top, or Patterson can beat you in his legs, much like McSorley can too. You mentioned John Reed. I think he's an interesting character in this game to see how much time he'll get, and I think he will get time. been playing but better. I, he has been playing very, very well as a true nickelback as well sure, because of the play of Oruarie and of Tariq Castro-Fields. That said, I think that he might still play as a quote-unquote nickelback, but maybe a little bit of a different role. And because I don't know how many times Michigan's going to go three and four wide, that said, will we see him a little bit closer to the line? Will we see him making plays in the middle of the field, perhaps a little bit closer to that line of scrimmage? Or, or do they go with more of a linebacker look? But the reason I say that in part is we see that Penn State, while it has depth at linebacker, does it really have depth at linebacker? It has guys that they'll rotate in and out, but clearly guys that they're not quite confident in. There are some guys that are better that should be quote-unquote starters. Um, You're talking about about Michael Parsons. Parsons and maybe Brooks down the line? Yeah, maybe down the line. But I think Cam Brown, I think, has actually played pretty Actually, very well for Penn Best State. Best linebacker this year. on the team, so um, far. and he's not built like a linebacker. Six five, two thirty, two thirty. He's like a, more. He looks like Juwan Johnson out there. Um, he is a linebacker, uh, number six. But I think Micah Parsons is head and shoulders above um, Coa Farmer's. Not a knock on Coa Farmer. I mean, Micah Parsons is a generational. We've been told a generational type of player with the potential that he has, and and I think you got to you got to ride with him and let him make his mistakes because. The redshirt senior farmer has made his his share of mistakes too, and I think you know you got to go through some growing pains here, and and you gotta you gotta really um, put a, a key difference maker out there more on the field. Parsons can be a key this weekend. I think that because of the sets that Michigan runs, and if we're talking about Reed in a potential role like when I'm talking about a nickelback, where you know maybe you wouldn't necessarily see one in other situations against similar offensive formats perhaps you completely open up Micah Parsons to rush the passer and you take away some of that decision so making you, that we're talking about you would about. have with with um you th- so you're saying you think Reed will be in the nickel a lot this like i i think more than you would expect even though Michigan number, runs a lot of two tight end sets and that's what i mean more okay. than you'd expect for the offensive formations that you see on the other side so 
if he's out there, then who are your linebackers? You would have two. Yeah, you you would have two at that. You point. go Parsons and Brown. That's okay. the idea. Yeah. Now yeah. it's how comfortable does James Franklin and the defensive coordinator Brent Pry? How do they feel about Cam Brown playing at that middle spot? Because we haven't seen that much of it, and perhaps or maybe I'm, they put Parsons over there. They could, the and that's something they talked about in the past. Sure. That's a lot of responsibility against the Michigan Wolverines team. Again, I think part of this is reaching for straws, but I. There's a part of me that believes that that is something that they could do because of the play of John Reed, the struggles at the middle linebacker position, and the escalating play of Micah Parsons mm-hmm. with the durability of Cam Brown. Sure. And and with all of this, when Michigan does throw the ball, um, if Itor Grossmatos and Sharif Miller keep playing at the um, at the level that they've been playing. That is great news for Penn State. If they can beat these these offensive tackles from Michigan and um, keep creating havoc because those two have been a great tandem. So, I mean, that that is really when, – when they're passing, they have to get to them. Etor Gross Matos has been – I don't want to call it a surprise because I think people thought that he could be really good. That said, I do think he's exceeded a lot of expectations and he's been so solid over there. Consistent. Hasn't made as many of those – early young career mistakes that you see out of these guys at that age. And he's been a great compliment to Sharif Miller because they are different types of players. Gross Matos, a little bit bulkier, a little bit more of a bull rusher, taller. Sharif Miller, more of a guy that can get around the edge, even though Gross Matos has shown the ability to do that as well, which is why when Shaka Tony can come in and spell Etor Gross Matos, Shaka Tony's not ready to be a starter quite yet, at least not on this caliber of a defense. When he does, it is so effective because he's fresh, and Utor Grosmatos has done so much to really tire that left tackle. And he's been so good. Um, I, I think that that's been, as you said, a real key for this team. It will be a key. Him staying in his assignment, we mm-hmm. highlighted this earlier in the year. Uh, I think when they were going up against Ohio State, we were talking about how you know he's going to be a guy possibly on an island when they're running the read option. Not going to be the case quite as often this week against Michigan. But like I mentioned, if they're plugging the middle a little bit, whether it is Shea Patterson that can scoot to the outside, it's going to be on him to both be able to, to plug up that middle but have enough athleticism to get out and seal the edge when uh, when needed or get off the block of the offensive lineman trying to seal the edge. Yeah, and, I, and again, this all comes back to Penn State's defense needs to stop the run because Penn State's pass defense is and pass rushes is, is actually pretty decent. So um, that is the key. There's two interior tackles, mm-hmm. Windsor, Givens, and, and the lack of depth, but the guys are going to have to step up, stop the run, Make them beat you through the air because I, if, if you make them beat you through the air and they're not pulling you on the ground, I like, I like the chances, but that's a big F. So we've talked about this a lot. We'll switch gears as we get to the final couple minutes of the show. We talked a lot about the wide receivers and the guys that we thought we'd see and Jahan Dotson, and we didn't see Shorter this weekend, though, and Daniel George and how they would be approaching their potential redshirt implications. Tyler, it looks like Dotson... It's going to burn that red shirt. I mean, if he continues to play and he continues to get the looks and he continues to have the trust of the coaching staff, it looks like they might run him through. Yeah, and that's really an interesting thing to me because he's a slot receiver, as is K.J. Hamler. Um, they were never on the field at the same time. He, yeah. had, a, he, had, a, he had a Like Fultz um, and Simmons. He had, he had two – yeah, <laughs> very true. He had two um, 
first down catches um, in the, uh, I believe it was the second quarter, maybe. It was right before the Friermuth touchdown catch. Dotson on a fourth and three. It actually kind of changed the game. I don't know if it was fourth and three, but he caught he caught actually not a great pass, kind of down down here back at his, his leg for a first down. And on the very next play or two, um, that's when, when McSorley went over the top to Frymuth wide open and back at the end zone. Um, so it's interesting. He's kind of in there to spell Hamler. Um, I don't know if there – I'm sure there's a way to get them both on the field at the same time. you got to play him at this point. I mean, he's. I think he's three in. Um, I mean, why not? Um, I kind of changed my opinion on him from last week because he made some nice plays. Mm-hmm. And obviously they're playing him for a reason. Um, the real mystery here is – is uh, Justin Shorter, who was the number one receiver and a top ten prospect overall in the country, is yet to play. Heard some injury rumors out there. Um, you never know, especially because Franklin doesn't discuss injuries unless they're season-ending. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we will be seeing him shortly, um, if at all, this year. So, as we cascade towards what is a huge game in Ann Arbor, is there any burning topics that, that you wanted to chat about tonight before we get to our picks? Um, Anything we missed? I, th- I think we're all good. I think uh, I don't think we missed anything that I wanted to talk about. So Wilton Spate's not coming out of that locker room for the Wolverines. He's not. Neither is John O'Corn. <laughs> um, totally different quarterback back there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. All right, so let's do the picks. Let's pick them up. All right, this is actually a really good week. Um, great, great week. week. Might be the best week all year for three thirty. Find four TVs or something. Yeah, I mean, you got to get something going. Um, let's start off with. You want to do just ranked first ranked or? Well, let's start with the Nittany Lions, or do you want to do that? Well, we last? can do them last, and we, right. we, it's like head, headgear with uh, Corso. Um, all right, let's start off with Georgia. Number six at number nine, Kentucky. Kentucky coming off a big last-second touchdown win at Missouri last week. Georgia, big. Big? Just, I don't believe in it quite yet, and I'm sorry about that. The Georgia, lights are too bright big. for uh, Kentucky, huh? Big, big. Um, Yeah, Kentucky's nine-point dogs um, at Cats, home. as it were. Yes, sir. Yeah, so... Uh, to the dogs. Yeah, the cats are nine-point dogs to the dogs correct and i i think you're right i like georgia big i mean georgia's georgia's played in a bunch of big games before kentucky really hasn't and and i think that they're thriving right now off of a mediocre sec west um obviously can't take seven and one away from them they're having a great year but um i think the dogs are too much um for the cats this week yeah i think they cover i mean give the points and take georgia yeah they're they're a different beast right now than than kentucky for sure um 13, West Virginia at 17, Texas. Texas coming off of a very um, tough loss against Oklahoma State Saturday night. Yeah, good football game. I think that West Virginia wins this one. Um, I think it's going to be back and forth, high scoring, just like you see in the Big 12 a lot, Tyler. Mm -hmm. Something like 41-35, West Virginia. It should be a fun one to watch. It's also at 3.30. There's a lot of good games on, like we said. Um, Texas, one-and-a-half-point favorite, so essentially they're saying – West Virginia pretty much is a better team, but they're giving some points yeah. to uh, wins on a home field. Exactly, I think, field, I and, I, and I think it's going to. You know what? I'm going to take the. Um, I'm going to take the Mountaineers too. I'm not sure how Texas is going to rebound um, from that loss, um, tough loss, Oklahoma State. 
Um, West Virginia is very much still in the the Big Twelve race. As is Texas. This is big. This is essentially a uh, elimination game for these two teams. Absolutely. Um, in many ways, but I'm going to take West Virginia by three in a very high scoring game. Um, next, we are going to go with. Uh, let's do Liberty at UMass. No, I'm just kidding. Minute <laughs> <laughs> um, men. We, we'll go. Um, let's do. Here's a, here's an interesting one. Notre Dame at Northwestern, seven fifteen ESPN. Northwestern, first place in the Big Ten West. Yeah, I, I'd actually be interested to see this line. I feel like this line's going to be close. Nine and a half, really? Notre Dame. Okay, that's interesting. Line tells me Notre Dame. I was going to pick Notre Dame, I think, anyway. But I would have expected the line to be tighter than that. And Maybe I think like I, six. I think I would take if I was betting. The line, I, I would think I would Northwestern. take Northwestern, I would but I'm going to take Notre Dame to win the football game. I am, too. I'm, I'm going to take Notre Dame to win the football game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be within a touchdown. Remember um, the last time these two teams met, Tyler? Northwestern beat Notre Dame, a ranked Notre yeah, Dame. Yeah, and Northwestern is is truly the the epitome of what what team's going to show up today. Jekyll? Are they going to be the nah. team that loses to Akron, or are they going to be the team that is in first place in the, the ever-so-weak big Big Ten West. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just they just romped North um, Wisconsin without Horny Brook, but um, he hasn't been playing that well this year. We'll leave it at that. Uh, let's go. Um, Alabama, number one at number three, LSU. Eight o'clock, CBS. Um, th- this line, I, I don't yeah, understand it's crazy, it. 15 man. Alabama. Alabama 15. to win the football game. LSU, give me the points. Or, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, I'm I'm take the points. I will take yes. the points. I will take the Alabama points. Alabama probably by about a touchdown or ten. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. But LSU take the points for sure. Um Dude, I mean listen, LSU. We're on the same page for thing. once too, by I the know. Way. Well, that's good for me. I think you've had a better year than I have. <laughs> listen, LSU is gonna keep Alabama out of the end zone, I think. They've done it in the past. They have a tremendous defense. Can Alabama blow somebody out kicking field goals? No. Will they make all their field goals? I don't know, but in the past it's been a struggle. I just don't see a 15-point win, and if they do, I'm going to tip my cap and say, wow, we got a different beast this year. Or maybe we learned something about LSU we don't know, but I think it's a pretty darn good football team. And we will finish with the battle in Ann Arbor. Number 14, Penn State at number 5, Michigan. 345 ESPN, Herbstreit and Fowler on the call, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Michigan here. And I would also ten take, points. I would also take the points and take Penn State if I was a betting man. But you said that you're sure that Trace is coming back because he came into the game. I, well, and they I haven't said anything. They haven't said anything. I mean, not that they would, but how many times a true do you see card. somebody come back in a game but then not play the next week? Is kind of what I'm going off of history. I hear you. If he if he were to not have came back in that come back in that game, um. Yeah, I you know, he he very well could be out for this game, but because he came back in, that leads me to believe he's playing. He definitely wasn't a hundred percent out there in the second half. You saw him chopping his feet, took about fifty. And, steps and the weather wasn't perfect run. for that kind of injury um, yep. to be playing in. But I like Michigan. However, I think if Trace comes back close to hundred percent, I believe the Penn State can win this football game. And I believe that Penn State will be in this football game to the end. They always are. The last time they weren't 
was two years ago at, at Michigan. The big house, correct. The Big House Blues, as we see behind us. I think Penn State loses this one close, but Trace McSorley, the true wild card. How does he show up for this football game, I think, is a big key. Yeah, I think I think it, there's a there's lot of keys for this game. There, huh? I mean, it's <laughs> it's getting off to a fast start. If Penn State comes out of the gates like they did against Iowa, it's going to be 21 nothing in, in a blink. Um, if Penn State comes out, has a good time of possession, able to run the football, able to stop their run, all these things sound so cliche when talking about football but I mean it's a simple game it really is um I I'm not sure you know big house blues we talked about it last time Penn State won in the big house was 2009 uh Daryl Clark Penn State team um went in there and won pretty handily actually um I believe it was James Franklin's first year out there in uh in the big house Penn State lost by less than a touchdown went for an onside kick I, I don't know if you remember this it was a night game went for an onside kick Mike Gesicki, his true freshman year, actually recovered the kick. They caught him off sides. Yep. But the replay, he was clearly on Clearly on side. What would have happened, we will never know. Um, but And then, obviously, the, the most recent trip was one to forget for Penn State, um, unless you could say that was the revenge tour when they played Michigan last year. But um, <laughs> I, I think, unfortunately, I think the Big House Blues continue for Penn State, and they're going to have to wait till 2020 to get – Another chance at the big house. I, I think I'm on the same page with you again. I have Michigan. I'm going 27-20 over Penn State. I think Penn State actually plays a pretty good game. Um, I think there's one or two costly turnovers, um, which is the difference. Um, I don't think it's going to be any bad decisions on the coaching staff, game management. I think it's going to come down to a bad turnover here or there, and Michigan's going to capitalize on it. All right, guys, we promise – we will break the tie next week. I think every game we picked exactly the same. But don't worry, like golf, the skins carry over. So well, whoever wins yeah, the next I, week gets all the points for this week as well. You must, you must be like, at least I'm not picking first, and I'm letting you pick first because, like you said earlier, I, I am like up here in our rankings, and you're like way down there. <laughs> yeah, you're so not letting me come it, back. At least I'm, at least I'm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at least I'm letting you pick first. You're not just copying my test over here. But uh, uh, I mean. We'll we'll see. Hopefully, we're both right. Well, minus the Penn State game would be nice, but um, <laughs> if we're both wrong, it looks really bad. So let's uh, let's hope for the best. We won't have our listeners back next week. Uh oh. And I'm going Liberty, by the way. Where you Liberty? All right, I like you, Miss. That'll be the <laughs> tiebreaker. Tie Hold on, let me let me check that real quick all before right. we get off. I know nothing about um, UMass is three and six. Adam Brenneman has already graduated. That's all I got. Okay, and Liberty's four and three. And the line is two and a half oh, UMass. This is Almost great. Almost a toss-up. Right. I'll, I'll take stuff. Liberty. You got UMass. Any chance we remember this next week? Well, I mean, it's at 3.30, so why don't we just watch that game and see <laughs> all the other ones? <laughs> Who wants to see any yeah, of those yeah. other football games? We'll have Alabama. to find it some. Yeah, exactly. But um, we'll, we'll remember that for sure. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. CAA TV or whatever it would be. We'll check that out. Hey, guys, everyone, uh, we appreciate the time. We appreciate Jason Lord coming on. It was great having him on Between the Lions. Give them a follow on iTunes. Give us a follow on iTunes as well at the BLS Podcast. You can find us. You can find the Pick and Roll Podcast, all the stuff we do on Bob Long Sports. You can listen to us on our YouTube channel. You can listen to us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, that's just about every way you can listen to us. We, we give everybody enough options. So for Tyler Gellhouse, I'm Bob Long saying so long. A huge game for Penn State. Their biggest game the rest of the way. 
until Wisconsin the next week. Then they need to go one and zero then as well to quote one James Franklin. Exactly. But this is a huge one this weekend. Enjoy it, folks. If anybody's heading out to Michigan, stay safe, and we'll talk to everybody next week. See you soon.